All right, this is Nick Verdi here with the Operations Mastery Podcast. I'm here with the Bodeker Group CEO, Gina Bodeker, and she runs an incredible company that is absolute masters in the customer research and feedback and overall marketing analytics space. And so excited to have her on today and, and learn more. Thanks, Nick. I'm excited to be here. So high level on your business, just tell people what you provide and who your typical clients are. Great. So we are a market research and insights company. So we help teams and companies that are looking to get information on and from their target market that will help them determine how they're going to develop their products, how they're going to message their products, and ultimately to help them sell more of them to make data-driven decisions in these areas as opposed to going off hunches and assumptions and just kind of winging it. So we, um, our com my company started seven years ago, and I grew up in the publishing space. And so a lot of our clients started off in both the higher ed and K-12 educational technology space, and we still service. Most of our clients are in that space, but we work with anybody who is creating digital learning products where the, the feedback that we provide them and the insights can help in how they, how they position and how they develop those products. So... I'm used to you know, typical marketing agencies. You come in, we audit your ad account, uh, run some strategy, and then have some calls over time. How does a market research firm like operate? I'd imagine it's um, it's a unique service each time because every client is different. But how, yeah, how does that work? That's a great question. So when we started, I feel like we were a little bit more bespoke. Hey, hey, Nick, what do you need? What are the questions that you have? After doing this and only this for seven years, there's trends. You see, there are insights that every single business owner or product marketer or product owner needs to know about what's happening in their market. There's also insights they need to know about what that market perception is of their product or service. So who are your biggest competitors? Why are you winning against them specifically? Why aren't you winning against them? Um, where, is your, where is your market going to make those decisions? What are the most important things that they're looking for? So if you don't know that, you're taking a very big risk. And that's what we help our teams do is to minimize the risk that they take when they're creating a new product. And now they come to us as the experts to say, what do you think we should be asking? What are the things that you know that every team needs to know in order for us to mitigate that risk a bit? So that's what we do for them from the outset. And so now that you have some trends as to what type of analytics and insights all these companies need, are there any like SOPs you use internally when clients come in or playbooks or you know anything that's like repeatable that you do for each client? Everything is. So from even the way that we approach that initial call. So 15 minutes when we're doing a, here's who I am. Let me learn a little bit more about you. Here's what typically happens in this conversation. I, I templatize that. I want to make sure I'm asking the right questions to know, are we a good fit for each other? Mm. From there, there's a, uh, a, a document that I typically send that is around, what are your research goals? Because many times people will know, you know, I know I need to get information from my market, but they haven't really gone granular. Like, what specifically do you need to know? Who do you need to know it from? Who is your target customer that you want to get this information from? In my space specifically, you have people who are buyers, you have people who are influencers, and you have people who are users. Mm -hmm. So from the outset of a research project, who exactly are you trying to get feedback from? How will you use it? so that we can deliver our our, um, 
our insights package in a way that is best for what their goals are. So we we have a process from that first call to the step in between, to a proposal, to what's our follow-up once we send the proposal, what's the follow-up if they sign it, what's the follow-up if they don't sign it, Mm -hmm. all the way through in our customer journey until a project is completed. And we've done the final survey and what's our follow-up two months later, like once their product is out to check in with them. So all of that is very systematized. Amazing. And after you have a client, like they've signed up and they're ready to go and you're doing those those reports and things, what do those SOPs or processes look like? Do you have like a bunch of research tools and softwares that you pay for? Do you have a couple account managers? Like how's it, how's it work? So um, yeah. tell me if I'm not answering this the way that, that I think that you're going is like once they sign up with us, I mean, we have a process in place for like, I'm the one who typically is doing the first call to find out what they need. Well, then they're going to work with a project manager and a project coordinator. So we have an internal process as far as handing over all of the information that 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 team needs to know in order to start on the best foot with that client. Mm. We work, um, it depends on the type of project. Say we're doing a really large quantitative study. We use as an we're an enterprise client of uh, Qualtrics. That's the that's the tool that we've used that we've decided to use. That's what our clients engage with the most. They see, you know, we reach out on behalf of a company. We get feedback that comes back through Qualtrics, and then we, you know, we slice and dice that data and provide our final deliverables, either like a PowerPoint along with a presentation or a PDF about here's what we've learned and here's what you need to know. So it doesn't have, our clients don't feel like the heavy tech piece, like our tech stack isn't really client facing. It's more to keep our operations going behind the scenes. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And then um, I know there's different types of market research. Are these things where you do like focus groups and and stuff like that? Or is it all like analytics based um, that you guys go hunt and, and, and pull together? So we do more of um, kind of the subjective piece. So instead of like trying to size a market, like how big is this particular industry? There's other companies that we can do that. that. We either get a list, build a list, work with a list provider, work with a panel provider. And our expertise really comes in. How do you ask the right questions in what format to get the insights that our clients need? So we do focus groups in-person virtual focus groups. We do in-depth interviews, um, just kind of like this, where we're we're the researcher asking questions that we can deliver the results on. Um, We do product demonstrations and get feedback kind of as they're going through and experiencing our client's product. And then we do just surveys, lots of surveys from very small scale to really messy, big, you know, big data sets that we need that we need to go through. Yeah. And so now like take us back. I think every entrepreneur starts just them or a partner or two. And at mm-hmm. some point they figure out how to scale and not wear all the hats, maybe just a <laughs> few. What can you take us through some of those pivotal moments of when you guys really started to to grow? Yeah. So um I, I did. I started by myself. So I started seven years ago. Um, and I was taking on it was really a journey where I thought, hey, I'm, I'm working in this industry. I've been in publishing for 15 years. I can do what I've hired vendors to do for us. And so I became kind of a jack of all trades in this space. So people could hire me for anything that had to do with publishing. And I kind of covered it all. Um, and given that you're 
your audience isn't just in that space. I'll keep it just kind of high level that we are just a generalist. And I quickly realized that it made sense for me to get an admin. So that was my first hire where I brought somebody on in a capacity where I can do more projects if somebody is taking care of all the administrative pieces. Then it made sense to bring on a bookkeeper. Then it made sense to bring on somebody who's much more technology, has much more tech savvy than I do and could help with the different systems that we might want to implement. Mm-hmm. And it just kept happening. And then I would hire another project manager and then we needed another coordinator to support. Mm-hmm. So it has always been very organic, like where just to make sure that we can best support the clients that we have. And then after some time, I realized, well, I'm not getting to spend the time on strategy. I'm not being able to focus mm-hmm. on how we're going to grow. And so one of our project managers, who is phenomenal, we moved into a director of operations role. And so she no longer does projects herself, but she is, you know, make sure that we have onboarding in place. What's our, uh, she's in charge of training and doing quality control with anybody who interacts with any of our clients. So it's really been helpful having somebody else who can focus on operations and making sure everything is systematized, written down. We have a policy so I can focus on business development, growth, and what is our strategy for, you know, what are we doing in 2024 to continue to grow? Yeah, I, I have a huge philosophy that all business owners, that's exactly what they should be focusing on, not the minutia of taking every single sales call or working with every single client and, you know, micromanaging everyone at the company. So uh, you just can't, you, you can't, can't grow. You cannot grow. I've even had to get out of, um, you know, we have a daily huddle and I can't go every day to see my team because that's operations focused. I need to meet with our CMO and talk about what our marketing strategy is. Mm -hmm. So you have to divide and conquer. You have to hire people you trust. You have to put the systems in place. We have a dashboard. We look at every week. We look at numbers. We look at activity. We look at billable hours. So being in the weeds is good to build the metrics that you expect your team to be able to follow. And then be able to like say, okay, I'm just checking and things are moving. And we, you know, we use Monday for that. We have software management tools that we use to check in. Um, but you got to trust the people that you hire. Yeah, hundred percent. And lastly, on like the growth and marketing and sales side of things, I always suggest when people are starting out, like you came from publishing, other people come from logistics, whatever, that they stay in that world for a little bit because it's easier to get sales. Um, It seems like a lot of your clients are in that world, ed tech, education, publishing, et cetera. Was that natural? Was that on purpose? Um, What is it now? Um, And how how do you, do you think that was important to your growth? That was was everything to my growth because- The reality is that I am in an industry where my background, I spent 15 years in in educational publishing. I was a managing director of a large portfolio. And the reality is the title and experience got me meetings that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. My experience, hey, I know exactly how to do this because I did it. Here's my track record in this industry. Here's what I've, you know, doing the type of market development, market research that I do. Here are the products that I signed, developed, and launched successfully. So you get a seat at the table just by being in that industry. And so we are still very much there because the, the quality of work that my team delivers we land and expand. We get a client. We don't usually lose clients. And so that is the number one growth goal is make your current clients happy, you know, that do exceptional work. 
And then we look to adjacent industries where the kind of background that we have still makes sense. So we work with some associations who have a learning component. We work with, um, we're working with a real estate client who has a digital product because our background creating digital products. So you look for adjacent spaces. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to start running a focus group on diapers or consumer goods because that's, mm -hmm. there's other companies who've been in that space that if I were a client, I would hire them. But if somebody's building a digital product, we should be on the short list of people they consider. 100% agree with that. Um, and real quick, cause you mentioned something else that people don't think is a growth strategy, but actually is, which is taking care of the clients you have and landing and expanding. Do you think that your clients, you expand within them naturally just by doing good work? Or do you have like purposeful systems in place where you're telling your project manager to go and like ask for a meeting with this other director, um, or, you know, how is that just natural on delivering good service versus like actually trying to land it and expand within a company? Uh, that is, again, a great question. So we we talk a lot about like having that much more of a process. So like when we work with somebody who's doing research on a product that they're launching, there's a date when they're going to launch it. Mm -hmm. We should know that. We should be in touch with them. We should be following up to say, hey, how is it going? Do you need help with market seating and market reach? Because the the type of work that we do doesn't end as soon as a product launches. So I for full transparency, I think we can be tighter there. Sometimes it's like, oh, this came out and we need to follow up. So that's one of the things we have a whole expert system list of where we think we're exceptional, where we have room to grow and where, hey, we really need to put a better process. And this is this is kind of in that space. So most of it has been organic. They just do really good work. And then I follow up, you know, a few months later, see if you need anything else. But I do think that can be tightened up. And so we're always looking at every single process we have, rating ourselves, and then those that we give a lower rating. That's what me and my director of operations are coming together and just rehashing and figuring out how, what systems we need to we need to revamp. Yeah. Well, incredible interview today. Do you have any other tips on operating a successful business? Um across the board, it could be about anything. It took me longer than I wish that it did to get out of my business. You mm -hmm. hear about that mm -hmm. a lot. There's the e-myth, the, the Michael Ferber book about, you know, working on your business, not in your business. And every entrepreneur I know really kind of struggles with that for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I now hire people who I can say are a lot better than me at certain mm -hmm. areas and like having no ego and saying, I'm, if I hire people who are better than me, smarter than me, who can do something I can't do faster and more efficiently, like I should never be looking at my books. I have a VP of finance who tells me what I need to know, right? Like, so come up with where you can uniquely bring value and where you cannot, you need to delegate. And so that took me a while. And then the other thing is, and I know this isn't a visual for your audience, but it is always on my desk. This is traction. This is the an entrepreneurial operating system. If you don't have a system and you're building a business, you don't have a system. And so this covers everything from people to execution, to cash, to strategy. It impacts how we run our meetings. We run what's called level 10 meetings. So they're super efficient. You know, we do not waste time. We're in billable hours. So it's like if we're not, if we're not having a solid meeting, then it's not worth my time and paying people to be there or for their time actually being there. So the Gino Wickman book traction, it's what, it's what EOS runs on mm -hmm. and that's what we now run on. And so we have a system that 
I wish I had this when I worked at a Fortune 500 company. It just completely mm-hmm. changed every component of how I manage my business. When did you implement that or read that book first? Uh, around three years ago. So I'm a part of Entrepreneurs Organization. And mm-hmm. that group is exceptional. So for, for businesses that are under a million dollars, they have an accelerator, which is phenomenal. I started maybe four years ago and it teaches you there's there's learning days around people and strategy and execution and cash. Mm-hmm. And you have an accountability group. And they use a book by Vern Harnish called Scaling Up. It's a very similar approach to traction. Some people like scaling up better, some like traction, mm-hmm. but it gave me a system that I needed for everything. Like, so it's, um, that, that is what I would recommend to anybody who's starting their own business Incredible. or in a business if they don't have a system. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I read E-Myth as well. And it's the number one thing I noticed in businesses, at least for me, before I hired, it was, I, the great fallacy is I'm better than anyone I could bring on. And that's just not true. And even if it is, the business would never grow that way. Right. Um, and then I was afraid to pay an expensive salary to someone good because I was like, oh man, they're going to make more than I do. Right. On. And that is, that's hard. It is hard. It is hard. Like finance, cash, that is real. It's scary, but it the risk is absolutely worth it. And the upside is way higher of not doing everything yourself. So couldn't um, agree more. Yeah. That, that, and I think a lot of businesses get stuck there, like right there uh, for years. <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. Because paying somebody a market-based salary for what you're asking them to do, which is at a higher level. Mm-hmm. So that's a decision we all make. It's like, do we want to hire somebody who can bring their unique experience and can help us? Or do I want to pay a lower salary and tell them everything I need them to do? But then mm-hmm. you have gaps. You know, I there I'm not, I'm not a marketer. I am not like I have a chief marketing officer who's, you know, hey Gina, we're next week we are recording videos and he has a retargeting strategy and all these landing pages he's created. He's, he's not cheap, you know, but at the same time, I can't do what he's doing. So you need to, you need to just own it and be like, yep, I'm going to, there will be an ROI here. It's going to take a few months for it to, for me to see it, but just, Mm -hmm. you have to invest that way if you want to scale. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Awesome. Awesome interview. And We appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. So thank you so much.